Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Today we are talking about coaching. Why is it so crucial for schools and staff development? How do you choose who to coach and what training is needed? What are the barriers to creating a coaching culture? And how can you define instructional coaching? Lots to talk about, as usual today. So get in touch through Podbean, call in or send a message to join the conversation. Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you're having a fantastic Easter break. Uh, I know a few people have just broken up or other people like myself are coming towards the end of our two weeks off. But either way, everybody should be relaxing. Nobody should be in school today. And certainly I know won't be in school tomorrow as we've got a lovely Easter bank holiday weekend. So hello to everybody listening today, wherever you are listening from, in the car, in the garden, relaxing. Uh, but obviously not in a work setting. What a great holiday Easter is in terms of recharging. I always think Christmas is a little bit hectic uh, because of all the things that go on around that time. Half terms are always a little bit too fast. But Easter, this good two and a half week break, is always what the doctor ordered, especially coming out of uh, a coronavirus as we are, even though it's not particularly gone away for some people. I think I've had more people get COVID in the last month than I've ever heard before. But anyway, let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, so it's Easter holidays. What are you up to? Get in touch. Uh, let me know. Are you using your holidays to do a little bit of cheeky schoolwork? Uh, are you one of those people who just literally leaves it all alone and has a total cutoff, which is fine? Or do you use that time to get on top of stuff? Uh, I know a few of my friends who are teachers are using it to get on top of some marking, uh, maybe do a little bit of planning just so you can start the term and not feel like you're chasing your tail. So yeah, let me know. I've got a free show today, which means that I haven't booked in a specific um, official guest. I may have uh, some callers uh, later on coming in, um, but um, the show is open for an hour and a half. Uh, we are live uh, for anybody that wants to call in, as we always are on Teach Talk Radio, um, but particularly this week, because I haven't put in a specific guest, I thought I'd and I'll have it nice and open so anybody can get in touch, join the conversation from wherever in the globe you are listening and from whatever level of experience you are, whether you're an ECT, a trainee, maybe you're even thinking of going into teaching or maybe you've been around the block like myself and have done a variety of roles. Either way, we'd love to have you on. So weather's looking okay. Uh, nice light late night. It's been a while since I've been actually on, on the show. Uh, because obviously my show is now only every two weeks uh, due to some other commitments I have. Um, and I think a couple of weeks ago I didn't do a show because I had a family event. So it's been a while. So welcome back. And I'm here to answer any of your questions uh, and discuss any topic you like. But we are obviously going to have a focus to the show today. Um, and that is coaching. So where do we start with coaching? Well, this is a huge area. Um, so what I've tried to do is isolate a few little areas we can get stuck into. 
from my own expertise and from uh, coaching in terms of what is happening in education at the moment, because it is becoming uh, instructional coaching is certainly becoming more and more popular. Uh, it's used by more and more schools as a uh, device to create staff uh, development and improve standards um, and is something which I know all schools that I've worked in over the last couple of years have got some form uh, of coaching model or framework or culture set up. Um, some places are at the beginning of that journey, other places it's more established. You may well work in a school where coaching is integral to what the school do there and the CPD. You may be at a school where it's coaching is not used at all, um, which would be great to hear from anybody, either end of the spectrum. And But I would be very surprised if there are people out there that don't have any form of coaching or something in their school. Now, of course, the most uh, simplistic uh, way that your school may be using coaching, whether that's primary or secondary, will obviously be with trainees and ECTs. And they are obviously the bedrock of that. Um, but what I'm kind of talking about today, although we will discuss that as well, is coaching in terms of just uh, regular and normal members of staff that have been teaching for maybe a couple of years, not trainees, not uh, early qualified, um, early career teachers, sorry, uh, that are using it as a developmental tool to improve their practice uh, and get better at what they do. So that's going to open up a lot of discussions, a lot of debates, a lot of areas um, uh, for discussion. So I've kind of tried to chunk this down a little bit in favour of cognitive load. Um, and we're going to start with a few. Now, what I'd like you all to do, you were listening. Uh, obviously, this won't apply if you're listening afterwards to the uh, podcast. You'll just be relaxing, enjoying the flow of the show. Um, but if you are listening live, then um, this is what I'd like you to do. I'm going to talk through some of the areas we're going to uh, uh, debate and discuss and uh, analyse. And then ideally, what I'd like people to do is call in or even just send a little message if you're a bit uh, nervous to call in. Um, then just send a little message. That way I can still incorporate you into the show, still get your views. So please send me a message if you'd like to do that instead. So these are the very questions that I think we're going to have to unpick today. First of all, we're going to look at why coaching is so crucial for school development and for staff development. We're going to talk about measuring its success, which is always a bit of a dirty word for me, measuring uh, any sort of uh, qualitative um, work or training um, that is not necessarily data driven. That's always a tricky one. Uh, we're going to talk about who gets chosen. So you may be a coach yourself. Uh, you may be part of a leadership team or a working party that is identifying what staff may benefit. So that's a discussion point. Who do you pick? Uh, or you might be in a school where it's a coaching culture and it's for everyone. So you're not particularly targeting uh, staff who are struggling or uh, ECTs, you might just have a coaching culture, which I think, you know, Dylan William always says, you know, that we can, that teachers, ne we never complete this job, do we? We're, we're never perfect. And um, that's not a negative thing. Um, we should always see that as that we're, we're always trying to improve. So in that respect, coaching um, is, is always going to be uh, worthwhile. Um, even somebody who's an outstanding, not to use that horrific uh, tag, but even if you're, let's say, a successful teacher with great results, has been doing it for a long time, everyone can still benefit from an outside eye coming in and uh, maybe making you reflect, most importantly, and evaluate your own practice, particularly when you might get into bad habits, um, as I know I did later on in my teaching career, because you kind of tend to get into some routines, which can be good, it can be bad. So uh, we're going to look at why coaching is important, how we measure it, who gets chosen. 
also what training might be required to be a coach, um, if any. I mean, there is an argument that you necessarily don't need any training. I think if you've uh, if you've been teaching for a while, you probably know what good teaching looks like. Um, even if you're an ECT, I would still argue you could um, be a coach for someone very early on in your career because you're fresh, uh, fresh from the training program yourself and probably can be a bit more au fait with uh, more recent uh, drives in teaching, such as, uh, you know, looking at retrieval practice or memory, which, you know, more experienced teachers may not have had that access or exposure to. Uh, so we've got that. And also another one to look at today is barriers to creating a coaching culture. If you are at a school where it's not uh, seen as maybe important or not a priority, um, even though I would argue that it should always be a priority um, because it's teaching and learning effectively. But you may be at a school where it's a bit more, I don't know, toxic for want of a better word, or you might be, it might be a bit more going through a big change or in a difficult moment. And actually your priority is just getting kids into lessons and, and doing the basics. So it may not be a, uh, a school development plan target. Um, and also that there is a difference with coaching and a culture of it and an open door policy where staff are open to it. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of it not being target driven or um, PMR driven and it being a developmental tool. So we're going to do that. We're going to chat about that um, for a good half an hour or so until we are obviously have our news and ad break. Um, and then um, we may get some guests after. I may have um, uh, a guest called Holly maybe calling in later on. We'll see. And she's she's actually um, an ECT. She's going to talk about the coaching from that angle, but we'll do, we'll do that probably after the news. We're going to focus the first part of the show on coaching. So what is the first thing that I need to uh, get out there for anyone who doesn't use coaching or isn't as familiar is what the definition of instructional coaching is. Now, when I started coaching formally, uh, which was two years ago now, um, I've always done some sort of coaching uh, or, or mentoring, um, but coaching in terms of specifically instructional coaching I've now done for a good couple of years and I would feel quite confident to talk about that with anybody um, I am no expert of course um, and I haven't got a background necessarily in that but that is something I've done for the last two years alongside other things and so that is most of what I spend my time doing so what is instructional coaching well a good definition is that instructional coaching involves an expert however you want to define that working with a teacher in a regular one-to-one -one session to gradually improve both their performance and their students' learning. So even if we start with that and unpick that, um, that brings across, um, raises some issues in terms of frequency, um, in terms of how you set it up. Um, it doesn't really work if you have multiple coaches working with uh, different people you really need to have uh well you could have multiple coaches but i think you know that person's got to be attached as it were to one individual and that way you can get a better dialogue uh, you can get a better relationship and you can build week by week on uh observing giving feedback discussing practice and, and drawing out uh from that person um how you can best uh, help them and that word gradually i think is very very important because there is no silver bullet there's no quick fix um when you do this you can't certainly can't watch someone observe someone a couple of times even if it's for 20 minutes half an hour uh give them some feedback and walk away that's never really going to work uh, for me in the role i do 
I typically spend at half term minimum uh, working with a member of staff more likely tends to be about eight or nine weeks and uh, before I can really see some actual concrete improvements uh, because you know changing habits as we've talked about before on my show is one of the hardest things you can get people to do in life let alone teaching and breaking cycles of bad habits or changing somebody's defaults uh, is very tricky now it doesn't this is not opinion based i don't want anyone who's maybe sitting there thinking oh god coaching or telling me how to do my job it really isn't that at all um, i coach people from a variety of subjects um uh, as well you know uh, beyond my own subject area and actually it isn't about i would never ever try and tell a science teacher for example um, how to do their job because i am absolutely horrendous at science i actually sit in some lessons watching science teachers coach you know good and bad lessons either way um te teach sorry bad or good lessons but actually at the end of the day the subject material i don't normally have a great understanding of now that doesn't make a difference to me it shouldn't really make a big difference because really a good observation you shouldn't really look at what the teacher is necessarily doing and you're not really analyzing them you should be looking at what the students are doing and that sounds really obvious and really glib and simplistic but actually if you ever try and observe someone I challenge you to go in there with your notes and not look at what the teacher is doing and look at what the students are learning because I think that makes a massive massive difference to then the subsequent feedback that you give and what you might ascertain as being the main areas of development because it's not about saying oh you should have done this activity you could have done that these are words that quite a lot of people um, in books that I've read particularly Andy Buck and other people that have written coaching books steer well away from saying um, you should have done this you could have done that because it's not about you telling that person that they've either done something wrong it should more it should really be about let's look at what happened in the lesson you know what was successful digging down on why that was successful what what strategy the teacher employed or what they put into their planning um, that worked well so you start and obviously with that and saying okay recognizing first what things were in that lesson what um, components were planned in uh, that actually were successful it could be the type of questioning the activity um, or whatever the students are doing again conversely um, when you're looking at where to improve um, it's very very easy just to look at behavior management for example but that is very very complicated when if you're coaching you may not know those students very well you may not be familiar with that class um, and the teacher may be using lots of different strategies um, to, with that class that have worked in the past so behavior management i would steer away from although i may look at low level disruption if if it is affecting the progress of the student so if i feel like that disruption is holding the class back or preventing everybody in that class from actually making progress or, or, or learning, um, then it might be something, a strategy that I would discuss with my person that I'm coaching and say, okay, what, what techniques can we use to reduce low level disruption? But I tend to not go down the road of um, looking at disciplinary measures or how you could have used um, sanctions better, although they are part of it. I would tend to look at, okay, I've seen loads of lessons where the lesson's been going absolutely brilliantly and then suddenly behavior is spiked and i can quite often see and anybody who who's does a lot of observation um will probably concur you can usually see if you're a fly on the wall watching 
you can normally see why that's happened. It could be that the pace of the lesson has uh, slowed down. Um, it may be that the, the work has become too hard or too easy, or it could be that it's not been explained properly. And that instruction, that explicit, explicit instruction isn't there. And then what you find is um, students struggling and, and misbehaving because they don't really get what they're supposed to do. So there's lots and lots of issues why that can happen. But as an observer, it's very easy to see that. Whereas when you're actually teaching, you're in the, the, the guts of the lesson, you're alive, you're, you're, you're responding to 30 kids' attention. It's not always happy to, it's not as easy to see. Whereas what I would use the coaching for is then afterwards to look at those moments and reflect and say, and good coaching, again, should be about drawing out from that, that teacher and helping them realise it shouldn't be about here's the answers. It should be, why do you think that that lesson went where the way it did? Why did you think behaviour went went poor, became poor when it had been good? And sometimes, yes, it's necessary to sort of help that along and, and give some clues or some hints or some suggestions. But I find most of the time when you unpick it and say, okay, do you think that that activity was, was clear or do you think that activity was too easy, too hard, etc.? Then you can see the penny drop um, and that's why I like coaching, because, again, like teaching, it's those moments where you see somebody go, oh, do you know what? Actually, that worksheet, I shouldn't have used it in that point or I should have explained that better or I didn't model that well enough. Or maybe I'm assuming a level of prior knowledge that isn't there um, or maybe it was it was too easy and they've done this before. So those are all sorts of examples. So um, we're going to we're going to break this down into uh, we've defined what instructional coaching is. So we've explained that it's a week-to-week -week, um, relationship where you've got one person with one teacher and you are slowly looking at ways to improve. That, that's basically a good description of instructional coaching. Um, there is, of course, the elephant in the room, which is the difference between coaching and mentoring. So I feel like that is also something we, we need to quickly um discuss or or basically just um make sure we're aware so i found a really good website which is actually a government website um which is the cfbt which is a coaching for teaching and learning um, education trust which is basically easy to google if you go on the government on the government website and put in coaching you'll find it um and they do a really good uh, definition so simplistically you would say coaching would be more professional dialogue designed to aid the coach e mentoring is normally at the end of a significant career event. So it could be an induction period or it could be where someone's taken on a new role. So that is slightly different. Coaching is usually uh, often supporting experimentation with strategies, whereas mentoring uh, might be more about a gatekeeping element where the mentor is almost it's usually someone more senior and more experienced who will, who will guide that, that process. Coaches are normally not in positions of line management, which is the same for myself. I, I work for a trust and the coaching I do, I'm kind of the middleman. So I'm not part of the senior leadership team of the school. Um, and that gives me an objectivity. It gives me a relationship with my people that I'm coaching that isn't, uh, it's a little bit easier because they can tend to be a bit more honest with me because they don't feel like I'm their line manager. Uh, whereas mentoring um, it may well be having more of organisational motive, for example, trying a succession plan and you want to, you know, I had a brilliant drama NQT, Emily, who I, I definitely would say I mentored her rather than coach because I slowly let her off the reins in certain things. I sl slowly exposed her to sort of new areas 
And that was because I was succession planning for her to become head of drama, which she did. Well done, Emily. Uh, coaching is really for enhancing teaching and learning, not career transition. Um, and whereas mentoring it, it is more, as I've said, sometimes for succession planning. And usually the focus of coaching is selected by the coach E. Um, and the, the process provides opportunities for reflection um, uh, rather than mentoring, which may be more about guiding someone and also paperwork is something we're going to come into with mentoring there tends to be more documentary evidence um to measure that um whereas coaching it there may not be or there may be depending how you do it so that's kind of the difference there now once we get into then the nitty-gritty and again i'll just uh, just remind people that this isn't a expert podcast that i am doing on coaching because i am experienced in this area but i am not the expert there are plenty of people out there uh, who have written fantastic books and guides and offer courses in this who are far more expert than me. So please get in touch, um, call in at any point by clicking call in if you're listening through Podbean, uh, or you can obviously just send me a message um, and I will read out your message and we can we can start from there. Okay, so where do you start with coaching? Such a big area. Well, one of the one of the things that is uh, very common. Uh, in coaching and this again is where I'd like your feedback is which model you use now if you google coaching models you will find a lot and I want to just talk about four um, four acronyms uh, which are ones that I found um, coming up quite a lot and it's interesting when you break these acronyms down what you see is obviously a lot of similarities they're all slightly different but there's a lot of similarities in the framework and the way that coaching works. Now, your school may choose to adopt one of these. It may choose not to, but I think most schools would have some sort of model. So for, so I'll give, I'm going to put these in the chat because if you're just joining me, you might, um, it might be hard. So I'm going to put the four acronyms in the chat so people can see them. And if you are listening to the podcast, I'll obviously will read them out. Uh, but I'm going to just type them in for my own benefit as well uh, so that I don't forget. So the first one is the GROW model, uh, and that is um, very, very popular. And that one stands for goal, which is the, you know, the goal, that, the opportunity that you're, you're trying to get to. Uh, reality, so you prepare that person based on what is actually the reality in their classroom. Uh, opinions, options, sorry, not opinions, options, which is what you're going to choose to do and plan. Uh, and then will, which is the actual will to take action and go forward. So that's the grow model. The rise model, which is the one I personally use, um, is similar, but not the same. So rise stands for recognize. So you would uh, look at recognizing the strengths of what you can see already. Uh, identify next steps. So you identify what are the things that need to be worked on. Strategies, that's the important bit. So you look at what strategies are needed to identify, uh, to work on the next steps. It's very important not to just to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of hands up there, haven't you? Mm. You know, you can't just do that. You have to say, okay, let's look at your questioning, you know, um, perhaps use cold calling, perhaps use random questioning. You know, you've got to give strategies that are going to help. That's not telling someone what to do. That's just suggesting um, some some options, some solutions that may help. And then it is obviously the onus is on the teacher to try those out. Um, 
And then E stands for experience uh, good, which basically means then the person being coached experiences good. So they either see what it looks like, what they're trying to get to. So I might model that. I might use a video. Um, I might give examples. I might be able to teach in the school doing it. And, and you go and see what that what it actually looks like um, when when that strategy is is working well so that people can identify that rather than, you know, just see it as a, um, you know, an abstract concept that, you know, you can shout at them and say, oh, do this, do that. But sometimes these things are a bit more abstract. So you need to give them something tangible. OK, so that's grow and that's rise. The next one that I found, which is quite common, is soar. Now, again, it's similar. If you listen to how these broke down, SOAR stands for strengths, overcome, action, and realize. So, again, it's similar kinds of things. And then the other coaching method, uh, which is what Andy Buck um, uses, and that's the one that Andy Buck's written quite a few books about. And if you do get hold of, I mean, Andy Buck is quite well known in terms of leadership books. He's written a lot of fantastic books. But his book, The Basic Coaching Method, I really enjoyed it and, I, and it's very easy to read. It's quite small. It's really well laid out um, with big font, which I know sounds a bit babyish, but, it, you know, it's good diagrams. It's, it's easy to read. It's not dense text. Um, and again, I don't use Andy's model. I don't use the basic coaching method, but there are, there's some brilliant things in his book um, which actually chimed with me and, and opened my eyes to a few issues with coaching that I hadn't thought about. Now, his uh, acronym stands for background. So he said he talked about using, he talks about using the GROW model um, that he had done, and then he developed this version. Background means, you know, getting the context to what that person is, is going on or what are the issues. Aim, so again, like a goal, you've got to have something you're aiming towards. Strategies, same as RISE. Implementation, so again, how are you going to put those strategies into place? And then C, now this is an interesting one because this is something I don't think is necessary in any of the other acronyms. And the C stands for commitment. And what Andy talks about there is the idea of um, the person committing to it, the commitment from that person being coached to, to actually deliver, to actually try these things out, to engage with the coaching, to find the time to reflect, to find the time to change their planning and commit to it. Because... I know that I, you know, I have coached some people in the past um, where the best will in the world, they're not necessarily committing or they're not necessarily buying into what I'm saying. And in, in the meetings, they're, they're very happy to, to nod and to say, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Seb. I, I see what you are saying, but it's very different to talk the talk and then not do, you know, walk the walk. You've actually got to commit to it as a process. And sometimes the barrier to that is, um, either pressure or people feel it's a you know it's a kind of pmr based thing which i it, it shouldn't be um or, or they've, they've got other outside pressures upon them uh, for time as we all do and maybe they feel like oh no i haven't got time for this now it's very important i think at the beginning to make it clear to them that actually you know they've got you know they've been chosen for a coaching program or if they volunteered i mean if they volunteered you're not going to have this issue but let's say someone's asked to go on it Sometimes you may get resistance um, and it's very important to break that down early on because it's a waste of everybody's time. If that person's not going to engage with it, commit to it, as Andy says, and take on board the ideas. That is not to say that you're going to coach someone and if they, they, they struggle 
to take those things on board and put them into practice that they're not committed. They may well be, but it might just be either um, they're finding it too tricky and you may have to model it or they're just not finding the time or capacity to to do it. Or there's a, a usually a deeper issue. They don't want to do it or they want to leave that school or the, their careers going in a different direction. But anyway, we could we could analyze that all day long. So those are um, some of the different acronyms that are out there. So we know what we've said instructional coaching is. We've talked about uh, the different models. And um, one thing that comes out of all of these is, is how you might actually uh, measure or record the success. So, of course, we're in a culture now in schools where everything is very much data driven. We're in a, we're in a time where there's, there is a lot of paperwork, which we obviously, in terms of workload, schools are trying to reduce. Uh, and, you know, under the union's advice, trying to make sure that, that work-life balance is protected. However, if we don't have some form of documentation, I think it, it can very easily just become a chat um, and then nobody's got any record of what was said. Nobody's got any idea of, you know, particularly for the people I coach, it's very important to go back to, you know, what was agreed or what was discussed because, you know, by the next day they've taught five lessons and they may well have, it may well have just been lost. So what ideally you want to happen is that person takes those ideas and starts using them immediately, but that might not always be the case. Um, whereas if you have it written down, even if it's about the one, I, the form I use is very, very simple. It takes 10 minutes to do. And I tend to do it with my teacher that I'm coaching at the time I'm doing the feedback uh, because I don't want to leave them and say, right, you've got homework to do because that is horrendous. Um, so what I tend to do is have the conversation with them and we make notes together or ideally that person fills in the, uh, the log and all it does is just keep track of what, what the agreed areas were. Not targets, important to mention, because targets can get very too much uh, performance management based. So you look, you're looking at um, strategies, looking at actions, and then you can obviously then, the following week, uh, pick that up again. And if you haven't got that written down, it's much more difficult. So it's easy, particularly for me, because I'm coaching maybe 10, 12 people a week. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to get, I'm not going to remember what, uh, what the, um, what the different targets or what's our actions, what, what the different things I've, I've said to people, uh, to do because I, I, you know, it's too many people to, to remember. Um, got a message here from Florida. So hi to Chris in Florida. It's always good to have people from, uh, abroad getting involved as well from these, as well as the UK. Um, he is, uh, he's asking me, is your teacher's show strictly about high school education? No, thank you, Chris, for that. No, it isn't necessarily. Uh, basically, at Teacher Talk Radio, we, we have a variety of hosts uh, looking at different elements of university education, tutoring, uh, different, different things. I myself am a high school, uh, secondary school teacher. So my, my, my shows do tend to have that bias to them. Um, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I do bring in primary guests from time to time. But that's where I mostly speak from. We do have a lot of hosts that are, I don't even know what the numbers are. I think it's probably about half and half of our hosts that are primary background. So we have got, got a mix, Chris. I hope that answers your question. Any more questions, uh, let me know. Uh, also, just got a message from um, Holly, who is uh, messaging me now just to say she will be joining us later on, which is uh, fantastic news. Um, and yeah, she can join us after the news. Now, Holly is an ECT uh, and she's going to talk a little bit more about coaching from a um, 
ECT perspective. Now, I think it's oh, that's a good point now to, to have the next discussion, which is about trainees. Now, when I started my coaching two years ago, which was just before COVID, my job was to, my priority was to coach uh, staff that were perhaps um, in need of help or, or good teachers that wanted to be outstanding, whatever. But there were always, um, the people that I worked with were always teachers that were established teachers that had been teaching more than two or three years. That was my remit. And I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really employed to work with trainees because ECTs have their own coach, their own mentor, they have their own program, which is something I'll talk to Holly about after the news. Um, they have their own system. So, and they might use a system like StepLab or they might have some sort of teaching framework they're going to tick off. Now, my experience then changed because what happened, as we all know, um, is that after COVID, when I when COVID, well, it still hasn't gone, I said, but let's say when, when things calmed down, September 2020, was it? Yeah, 2020 or what are we now? 2022, maybe 2021. When we went back into schools properly after that second or third or whatever wave it was, what I found was head teachers and SLTs coming to me to say, do you mind coaching uh, one of our ECTs? So at first I was very much, oh, I don't know about that. I've, I, I've, I've got people I need to coach, blah, blah, blah. But actually, um, I was told by the, by the trust that I work for, actually, that is perfectly fine. And that was purely because those people normally would have had, and this may well be your experience, so please get in touch, call in, message me if this is your experience. Those people had um, had obviously disrupted training. So whereas they would normally have a, a year teaching practice with a, with a guide, with a mentor, et cetera, and all of that reflection and all of those mistakes that you make as a trainee and a good, good chunk of classroom practice, and then they start their next year, their NQT year or whatever, the second year of the ECT program now, uh, and they start to embed. Now, what's obviously happened is people were teaching from home. People were trying to do online learning in lockdown. And obviously they, they did develop their practice. And I spoke to one guy once about this and he said to me, I asked a question to this science teacher. I said, who's an ECT? I said, do you feel like that really disadvantaged you? And obviously he's not going to know any different because he didn't doesn't know the other way of doing it, if you like. But he made a good point, which were there were some aspects to it that actually were really useful about learning in that way in terms of technology, in terms of um, engaging AFL, you know, doing little checks online, uh, retrieval practice tests, little quizzes with uh, with all the different stuff that was that came online uh, with Nearpod, etc. So he said he actually learned quite a lot. But of course, the big loss was the uh, classroom practice. And and a lot of ECTs find that, that I've worked with, that is the thing they need the most help with because they've not had a year uh, uninterrupted of class. It's just about getting hours in the bank, peeps. It is about getting hours in the bank. We all know you've been teaching 5, 10, 15 years. You're better at what you do than you used to be because it's all experience. And if you've not had classroom experience, teaching online is not the same, as we all know. You've not got 30 kids in front of you vying for your attention, chucking pens across the room, whatever it is. You haven't got that. Uh, and so I think that is where they, they've got a gap. So effectively, what I am saying, I suppose, is coaching can work on 
work with any member of staff, however new they are or however experienced. But my slight issue sometimes with coaching ECTs and trainees, and I'm going to talk to Holly about this after news, is that uh, we can all remember from tra teacher training, I'm sure, that the hundreds of standards that you have to tick off. And I, if, I watch an e if I watch an ECT, usually, and I'm not saying every time, but usually I might sit there with my notepad and write down about five things that I think, oh, could have done this, might, you know, that might work, maybe think about this. And I write down all these things. And then I come out and I go to do my feedback and I think, God, that's too much. You, you can't coach people and give them five or six things to think about. It's just cognitive overload. It's not going to work. You need to isolate one or two main areas. Um, and within that, there might be two or three strategies, but the main areas, so you might say it's questioning, it's behavior, it's um, challenge, um, engagement, wh whatever you want to look at, um, instruction. It, it could be any of those areas, but to say to someone, oh, you uh, think about this, 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 A is not fair, and B, you know, most trainees are keen, they want to do well, um, they, they don't want to be bad at their job, they want to be successful. And me sitting there as an experienced oracle saying, yeah, well, if you just do these 10 things, you'll be perfect. That That's not helpful to anybody. So what I have found with that is that, yes, there's still a benefit to working with ECTs. But and I can think of one lady that I'm not obviously going to name that I worked with quite for quite a long time, 12 weeks, really trying to help her with some real basic stuff. And she slowly started moving there. And then I had to finish the coaching because I said, look, I've done my block of time. I need to move on to someone else. Anyway, I left her where I thought in a, in a healthier position than when she'd started. And I'm sure she would agree with that. But what was interesting about her story is that then uh, I went back about a year later, six months to a year later, and just popped my head in. And, and she was flying. She was absolutely flying. And, and when I spoke to her, line manager I said wow you know she's um what what's what's happened you know what what's been the big the big moment this the big change and basically it was nothing to do with anything specific it was just that she'd had eight months nine months wherever it was in the classroom to practice 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 get better get learn from mistakes get to know her students as well um, which is also another problem with the COVID interruptions get to know them build relationships all of those things that are key to a successful classroom and so the ta the strategies i'd put in were helping her but of course you're not going to see that after six weeks um but after six months it, it, it was really nice to see so that's just a little story which i think illustrates that point so trainees i think it's a complicated one i think we need to we need to think about if you're setting up a coaching program the first question is who is going to be picked so are you going to I've, I've worked in some places where there's a bit of a negativity towards coaching. It can be that, you know, if you're selecting someone and you only want to use a small group of people that you feel are going to benefit, you've got to be very careful because that can cause um, concerns. It can, can cause worry because that person may say, why have you picked me? What am I doing wrong? Am I going to get the sack? All those kind of uh, paranoias can come in. Now, I've coached people who are really, really good to, to start with, fantastic teachers that I've still tweaked uh, and helped with their, with their practice, I hope. Um, and I've, 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 I've worked with people who are really, really struggling. Um, but the, the most important thing is what I said earlier about the Dylan William thing. 
is getting people to understand and i can do this on my own i can individually say to someone when i build the relationship at the beginning right listen i'm not your line manager i'm here to help i'm here to develop you um and and put away those worries and say look this is not this doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna be in any trouble you've not been identified as someone that you know they're worried about but of course you may decide your school may decide to start a coaching program by looking at those people that you really want to help develop or you want to help those people who um not as successful in the classroom or or, or having a or having a bad bad time of it and of course that's fine but it's how you pitch that to those staff or do you go the other way which i think is probably the better model which is you start a coaching culture within your whole school uh, and you might do that in september you might start that on an inset day at the beginning might be something on your development plan and you say at the beginning right whoever's in charge of cpd this year we're going to look at instructional coaching and you start you start that with everybody and people are either on a carousel or a cycle or you might buddy people up there is so many different ways of doing it and again i'm not the expert please call in please message if you think no no this is how we do it seb it works for us or you might phone in and say we don't do it like that and it's not working for us so let let me know get in touch join the conversation um so we talked about recording it we talked about who you might pick um what about training to be a coach um i i don't necessarily think that there's a lot needed if you if you're an experienced teacher however um i think when i started coaching two years ago compared to now i was nowhere near as good um, and I've obviously got better from experience. So a couple of things I might say are there are some there are some no nos and there are some things that you might start. Um, you know, there are some skills, let's say, that are probably worthwhile um, doing with a group of people. Let, let's say you've got a, a group of people, two or three people that are going to be your coaches. Um, there is so much out there support wise, publication wise, books um to to get some sort of framework together and agree on how that's going to work as well as skills such as great tip um is to you know to sit side by side and not to sit opposite the person because that can give an impression of um you know a meeting an interview it becomes way more formal and i've noticed this is true if i sit opposite someone not everybody but sometimes it can form a barrier whereas if you sit side by side uh, and you sit together the lesson plan for example in the in the in the middle of the two of you and you're you're sitting like almost like on a sofa together it is very very different it, it kind of breaks some of those barriers down and that actually i think came from uh the first the, the yellow teaching walkthroughs book i think i'm not sure but i'm pretty sure um that idea was was in there about positioning where you sit pretty sure it was in there um and i'll talk about those books later um so yeah training to be an actual coach um i mean i don't know i could probably go into school and, and help and offer cpd on it but again there's lots of different models there's what there's systems you can buy into as a school um from different organizations and that can help structure that formally um but i would certainly recommend you don't just go you know straight in with okay identify someone who's good at teaching yeah they could be a coach and then chucking a few people their way and saying getting on with it because i think you you need to sit down and actually work on what um 
what, what elements of the coaching model you're going to use. Like I say, I've just picked four acronyms there. Um, the grow model, the rise model, the soar model and the basic model. They're all slightly different. So what's going to work most importantly for your context, your students, your teachers and what's the culture and creating a culture? I mean, that that's that's hard enough as it is. Um, you know, creating a coaching culture in terms of open door policy, um, you know, is everybody open to it? How do you create that culture that it's not performance management based, that it's not in any way trying to catch people out, that it is developmental? Um, and then, you know, good examples of that, modeling that and having everybody involved in the process. So, you know, we've got to record it, I think, but let's make sure that this doesn't become too... Um, too much accountability in terms of extra extra paperwork and not not PMR appraisal based. So if you just join, as I see quite a few people joining me now, good afternoon to you. It is coming up to 4.45 on the drive home with me, Seb. We're talking about uh, coaching. And some of the questions we've been looking at today is why is coaching so crucial, which we haven't really answered that. So I must go back to that one. Why is it crucial for uh, schools to take on board coaching and staff development? How do we measure success? Again, almost an impossible question to answer, but I will unpick that. Who gets chosen, which we've talked about. Do you need training, which we've talked about. Barriers to creating a coaching culture and what sort of models of coaching you might use. So let's let's go back. Um, let's go back a little bit or do a rewind um, and have a look at why coaching is so crucial. Well, it's become trendy. It's become popular. That is for sure. Um and I think part of this, um, which is something that Ross uh, McGill mentions on the Teachers Toolkit website, is uh, that what's happened is since we've moved away from grading lessons, thank the Lord, um, we've moved away from grading lessons. So that's a good idea um, because you can't judge someone on, on a half hour obs. Um, but if we move away from grading teachers and putting them into little boxes and saying they're outstanding, they're inadequate, if we're going away from that which I'm obviously saying that's what we should do, then how do we um, how do we do it? How do we make sure that the coaching provides an alternative? So, um, you know, now that we're not doing that, this is what Ross McGill says on the Teachers Toolkit website. Uh, he says, it appears to me that coaching is the solution for every school. It is a genuine attempt to help teachers improve, to encourage open door classrooms, and facilitate teachers to talk to one another about the same students they're teaching and the same issues they may be facing. One small brick in the wall to strengthen teaching and learning. So I think, you know, what Ross talks about on the Teachers Toolkit website, which again is a great one to look at and is informed by the Teach Like a Champion series as well, uh, is the fact that if we're moving away from those kind of judgments of teachers and we're not, we're not going to say, we're not going to put people in boxes, uh, then... Um, then what we are going to have to do is say, have some sort of measure, whether that's observations, learning walks, um, feedback, um, uh, line management meetings with somebody to say, how's it going? It might be that you look at a certain class, for example, and you say, I'm really struggling with this class. And then rather than saying, watching them and saying, OK, I've seen you teach, um, I'm going to put you in a satisfactory box. It might be, yeah, I can see you, you need some help with that class or with that, that key stage. Um, let, let's, have, let's do some coaching. And then you can create a proper bespoke plan for that individual based on their needs, their context, their experience, and match that with your own teaching expertise 
um, and um, you know, and then the two of you together can go on a journey and you can work on that with good solid principles of pedagogy, uh, which again, you can get from lots of books. Um, the teaching walkthrough series is excellent for that. I'm going to talk a bit more about some books, some advice, um, some publications I'm going to suggest to people if they're more interested in coaching after the news. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, um, I think I think that's what we've got to look at. Um, and then if we acknowledge that it's powerful, which I think nobody will deny, then I think you can really transform a school. And because essentially what you're doing is you're working on the ground level uh, with a teacher one to one that is going to then help them be a better classroom practitioner. The issue comes from then trying to measure that impact because, you know, I've got people I coached two years ago. I'd hope that their teaching has carried on being successful and improved from when I, I met them. Um, but let's just park COVID for a minute. Let's imagine we've not had COVID. You're still not going to see necessarily any, you can't really rely on data because I'm not going to work with someone on a year 11 class for six weeks and then say, right, that means in two years time, they, or a year 10 class, and then two years time say, oh yeah, all your grades are going to be better now because of that coaching. We, that's just not going to work like that. But if you're being pressured by senior management to say, right, what's the impact of the coaching um, on students, then it does become a little bit tricky. You could potentially look at their books and say, or they, you know, they've got more stuff down, but I don't really think that's the answer. Um, you could obviously do a controlled experiment, couldn't you? You could, you could coach someone, you could say, right, use these strategies with this class and not this class to see who does better. But we're not in a research lab and you're not going <laughs> to disadvantage one class by saying, well, we're going to use retrieval practice with one and not with the other and see what happens. Um, that's not ethically fair. Um, so really, I think you, in terms of measuring impact, my go-to with this is I look at the well-being of the teacher, I look at the engagement of the students and the learning and what they're actually doing and their thinking. And in those lessons, do I see a difference between when I started coaching that person, when they started on the programme to the end? And it could just be simple things like, you know, um, maybe they're not they're not doing enough responsive teaching they don't they don't know enough about whether what they're doing is working and they've used whiteboards and all of a sudden you can really evidence that you know the thinking that's going on and um, it could just be something simple like um their questioning techniques and you work on deeper probing or you work on on, on ways of using more cold calling for these are just examples and then that is something tangible you can say at the end of the eight weeks or however long you're doing it that that teacher says, I feel more confident to use that strategy. I can see it's had impact because otherwise there's no point. If, if I suggest on it um, to somebody and then, and they say, oh, I'm going to try that and it doesn't work for them. Don't bother. Um, and that's one of the, the best things about the teaching walkthrough series by Tom Sherrington again, is their, their adapt model that they use, which is, they always uh, refer to that quite a lot in the teaching walkthroughs books, as I'm sure uh, people listening, you may well be aware. Um, and this idea of, okay, taking something, adapting it to your practice, trying it out and tweaking it and making it work um, without necessarily lethal mutation, as they call it, but something that's going to help. So it's always got to be open for adaptation. Um, so we talked about who you choose, we talked about training, barriers to creating a culture. Well, I don't want to get too negative, but obviously there are barriers out there from time point of view. There are barriers from engagement and, and probably barriers in terms of I think I would say they're probably going to come from the top. Um, 
because if, if the head or the senior leadership team are not open to a coaching culture or they don't feel like it's something they really want to push, that's going to be your first barrier. If they are open to it, but it's an individual that isn't buying in, then you've got an individual barrier. And that's about getting that person on side uh, and making them understand the power of it. And often that happens with me. Sometimes I start coaching people and they're very much sometimes a little bit negative or a bit dubious or suspicious because let's say they are a maths teacher and I'm not. They're thinking, what's this guy going to help me with? But normally I, I gain that trust and confidence from um, the conversations I have, being open. And after a couple of sessions of being able to say to someone, I think that that this could have worked differently and them, them agreeing with that. And once you get that expertise and that somebody notices, yeah, I thought that and I felt that myself. The, the, the most rewarding for me is when, is when I write down, um, you know, pace of activity was what, you know, was delivered slightly slowly. Kids lost or became restless, for example. And then I sit with the person and say, right, where do you think that went wrong? And they go, well, the pace of activity was a bit slow. The kids got restless. Bingo. So when that happens, I love it because then I can say it's exactly the same. I felt the same. They've reflected on it. I haven't told them what to do. And then I can then use my expertise to say, right, let's pick apart why that happened. What could you do next time to prevent that? And a lot of the time it's just organisational. It might just be, you know, the worksheets weren't handed out quick enough. It might be that there was a box of pens that wasn't, you know, the person forgot to bring a box of pens. Kids didn't have pens. It caused a faff. And then, and then the focus was lost. These are simple, simple things, but they are massively crucial and they can affect the flow of your lesson really, really easily. Um, right. So that's um, that's a lot of those questions discussed and thought about. Please get in touch if you want to respond to any of those. Um, after the news break, I'm going to speak to uh, Holly and she's an ECT and she's hopefully going to call in after the news and tell us her experience of being an ECT and what coaching means to her. And we can hopefully get a bit of an honest discussion with, with Holly going. And I'm also, after the news, going to look at um, some recommended reading. So I'm going to go through some books that I've read about coaching that really helped me and some articles and some websites that might help you uh, because that's what I'm like as a little Easter present for you. Uh, and then on top of that, if we get time, depending on how it goes with, with Holly and how long Holly's got to be with us, I'm going to also look at what makes a good coach? So what are the personal qualities um, that you need um, to be a good coach? But for now, I'm going to just take a pause. Do not go away. Stay with me um, because then we might get to chat to Holly uh, and you won't just have to listen to my voice um, and we can we can dig down on some, some ideas with her. But we're going to have a quick news break. Um, don't go away. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching 
alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. The Independent covers a news story from the National Education Union's conference in Bournemouth. At the conference, some teachers have called for more time to be allocated for sex education to help prevent pupils sharing explicit images of themselves. In a linked story, the BBC are also covering the experiences shared by teachers at the conference in tackling the issue of explicit online content and the impact it can have on young people. Last year, Ofsted reported that nearly 90% of girls and almost 50% of boys said they or their peers had been sent pictures or videos of things they did not want to see a lot or sometimes. The Eye features an opinion piece as part of the reaction to news that interest payments on student loans could rise to 12% from this autumn. The rate will dip in March 2023 when a cap on the interest rates kicks in, but many students already working towards degrees don't realise interest is being charged during their studies until they get their first statement in the year after leaving university. The Department for Education said student loans were protected in a number of ways, unlike commercial loans, but the National Union of Students said the increases were brutal and likely to add thousands of pounds to graduate loans at a time when many were struggling. A petition started by the family of a teacher who died after 31 years service has already reached 100,000 signatures. The petition is in support of rule changes which would allow single people the same nomination rights as others. Under current rules, a beneficiary who is not a spouse, partner or dependent can only benefit from a death in service grant. The contributions made to the pension remain in the Department for Education's pension pot. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week you may find you have a bit of time on your hands, so why don't you learn a new skill? I'm talking learning to code. There's loads of ways to get started for free. Check out Scratch from MIT, a block-based programming language. There's tutorials and a huge community of people who share their work. Imagine if your next presentation to the pupils was done through a game. The limit is only your imagination. If you want to get a bit more serious and you have a child to drag along with you, take a look at the Astro Pi Challenge. There's Mission Zero, spend an hour and program a Raspberry Pi in the International Space Station and get a certificate of where and when uh, yours, um, uh, the, the pupils code ran. If you want to get really involved, check out Mission Space Lab where you need to invest a bit more time but there's also some free kit for school involved. Do you just want some me time? Then look no further than EduBlocks or Trinket. These browser-based editors come with tutorials to get you going. Their tutorials help you cross over from blocks to text-based coding. If you want to be supported in coding, why not join me for an introduction to Python on May the 4th, 4 to 5 p.m. I'm going to teach an introduction to Python coding in Trinket. Any Teacher Talk radio listener can come for free. Details of how to join will follow shortly. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so for actually once I managed to remember to bring my microphone back on, which is why I always forget uh, after the news, um, and I always sit there and I think, oh, oh dear, why, why can why no can one... Uh, uh, Holly, hello, Holly. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you. That was very prompt. You're calling in after. <laughs> Steve Wilson was still well. He was still talking two minute tech, and you were there calling in. <laughs> I like to be prompt. I'm like ex military, so I'm five minutes before every parade. Are you ex military? <laughs> how did you get into teaching then? If you're ex military, um, well, yeah, well, I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't ask. <laughs> no. um, well, it's it's obviously not the same, but there's there's certainly some skills there, isn't there, that cross over. Yeah, it was it was definitely um, a love of um, going back into education because I went to university after I left uh, the army, um, and actually the teachers that I had there that supported me through like school and everything else that in life that went alongside it. So yeah, yeah. lovely. Yeah, okay, brilliant. Well, listen, thanks for joining us. Are, have you been on holiday for two weeks, or are you are you um, at the beginning of your holiday? I have already been on holiday. The end is in sight, which is I very know. <laughs> it's scary, isn't it? How quickly yeah. it goes. Um, well, listen, thanks for joining us. What I'm really hoping for. So, uh, what's uh, what's your bit of background first, Holly? Because obviously, I don't really know you at all. Uh, what, what are you? Pri your primary? Are you? No, secondary? secondary, yeah. Okay, and what subject? So, did... um, so secondary English. Um, right. I'm, I'm at ECT in my first year. I do have um, a little bit of experience through like being a TA or being a tutor beforehand. So I kind right. of feel like I hit the ground running to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I am. Um, so, re so really you've officially been teaching, what, eight months, is it? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. So <laughs> what we what we thought was, listeners, um, is that Holly's gonna we've obviously talked a lot about coaching in general, um, but what we wanted to do is kind of get an ECT angle on on that coaching because obviously that has changed from the old uh system before this new system came in. Uh there wasn't as a there wasn't a coaching element to it really. It, I don't know how much you know about the change that that happened. 
Um, but the old training used to just be a mentor and that was it. Um, whereas now, I think, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, the coaching is a bigger part of it, isn't it? Yeah. So um, obviously I had mentoring during, during my training year. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that was, you know, you're kind of talking about the models of mentoring and uh, coaching. Yeah. I kind of felt like I um, I was really lucky that I had a, someone who was quite hybrid in terms of that. Um, you know, they were quite good at not dampening my enthusiasm because they'd seen these things before, but I hadn't. So they allowed me to get excited about it um, and encouraged me to try things out, see if it works. And they would know if it wouldn't work or not, but they didn't do (laughs) mean they allowed me to discover that for myself. No, no, you try that out. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) Walk walk away. Yeah. Um, So when you say a hybrid, you mean that they were kind of a coach and a mentor? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think so. Um, and and it's kind of interesting because um, they were very open about their reflections about what their mentoring of me is helping them discover about themselves as well. So it's quite nice that we could work on, um, you know, creating a resource or creating a scheme of work. And I'm putting in the ideas that I'm getting about dual coding and how I think things should be presented. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and they're open to that and, and changing things. So it was it was really nice. Yeah, I, th- I think that is what you've there it hit a nail on the head is that one of the, the main differences with coaching is that you don't do that. You know, with, with the coaching, I really try to not get into that level of nitty gritty mm-hmm. because ultimately I am, you know, just guiding them along and I'm not. Whereas a mentor, like you say, they're, they're going to be it's going to be a much more of a two way process, isn't it? And I've, and I've mentored trainees and ECTs myself and it is really rewarding, um, you know, getting that ideas back and the planning. Yeah planning particularly so in terms of then so okay so you've done that first year so how's it worked this year then in terms of this part of the course with the coaching Uh, well how's it structured first of all so um i'm part of the early career framework yeah um, and i have a mentor someone who's in my department um to kind of so they've really got the subject knowledge to help me as well uh, and I also have uh, the school has an ECT tutor, which we yeah. all go to see and we have like a weekly meeting uh, with them as well. Um, and that's all under the kind of umbrella of the early career professional development program where we kind of log on. We work through blocks uh, we watch yeah. videos and, you know, kind of reflect that way as well. So there's kind of three strands to it. Yeah. And do they, does that person do one-to-one coaching with you as well? Or is it, do you just all do it as a group? Uh, in a group setting, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, go on. Yeah, my mentor's the one-to-one. Right, that's the one-to-one. So, yeah. and and when you say the hybrid as well, what, what is the, what I'm interested to know from your point of view is, let's start really at the beginning. Obviously, you you're learning as you go which yeah. everybody does, especially, you know, in this profession. Um, but what are any breakthrough kind of coaching moments for you in terms of what they said to you or what you found, if you know what I mean? Can you think of any kind of breakthrough examples of some really effective coaching? Um, so there's a couple of moments, I guess. One for me and one that maybe exposed something in my mentor as well. Um, right. <laughs> but it goes to the personality and you're going to talk about qualities. Um, perhaps yes. I don't want to take too much of that. No, no, that's fine. We'll, we can go into that after. Yeah, go on. Um, so I think there was kind of like a, not quite a eureka moment, but obviously through my training year, 
um, I did have to go and teach remotely. So I did teach throughout the whole year, but I, when I was in the classroom, I was in a taped off two meter box and I couldn't Lovely. walk down yeah. the room, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, and I, I, I never looked at marking books. Mm. Never, I never touched a book throughout my whole um, training year. Um, and it's kind of weird to think, you know, like you're a teacher and you've not done bookmarking. So, oh. um, you know, I, I found a lot, um, especially when I first started as an ECT, it was kind of like, well, I've done the training so that I should know what I'm doing. And therefore, if I ask questions, this is my own thinking. If I ask questions, then I'm going to look like a right idiot and they're going to wonder who they've given a job to. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think I spent the first three months like not asking the questions I should have asked, especially right. when it comes to things like bookmarking. So I just kind of like discreetly... Um, you know, and they were very good at picking up on that because obviously they knew what they weren't allowed to do as, you know, lo during lockdown and stuff. So they knew that I hadn't done that or had limited knowledge in that. So they would just do a kind of discreet, oh, let's everybody get together and, and mark some books and whatever. And I'm just kind of leaning over like, oh, right, so you're going to circle the method there. Good, right? I'll make sure I do that. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, so it's a lot of kind of quite discreet moments, I think, that... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Without really pinpointing out, like, you've not done this. And do you know what I mean? So it's not in your yeah, face yeah. and I don't feel ashamed about it. No, no. But, I mean, I guess that that in itself is a, is a learning curve. But other people listening, um, you should always take note of that you, whatever level you're at, you have to ask for help. And you, you should always not be frightened to. And it's a natural thing to do, isn't it? To think, mm. oh, I don't want to ask that because I look like an idiot or you know, people are going to think I don't know what I'm talking about. But I think people are scared to do that too much. Um, it, even myself, when I was on leadership, you know, I was like, well, oh, I better not ask how to do this because I'm going to look, you know, and I think everybody needs to just kind of, that's a good learning uh, curve is to realise that, you know, you shouldn't be frightened to just ask something really. Yeah, definitely. So there's not really necessarily, like you say, eureka moments. It's just more kind of subtle. Yeah, lots of way of chipping away at things. And mm. I kind of discovered actually the, the quality of the person I have been matched with as a mentor um, because obviously my subject knowledge gaps and, you know, uh, kind of practice uh, like uh, knowledge gaps as well, I guess. Um, when it comes to like marking so I had done very little in the way of marking um, and there are units uh, in English like uh, poetry that I've never I'm teaching that for the first time and marking it for the first time mm. so when I'm going up to my mentor and saying I need you to sit down and mark this with me or do like I need to know what to yeah. do where to go um, that it took them a moment because marking like obviously they're very experienced and they know how to do it but it's something that is maybe the, a weaker point for them. So yeah. they then had to go away and accept that actually in order to make me as good as I can be uh, for myself and for the department, uh, they need to go away and work on that too. So, Well, that's, I think that's a massive what you've there. I mean, marking itself, we could, I could do a whole show just on marking. <laughs> Um, which I wouldn't really want to do. But, um, you know, there's, there's so much debate around marking, you know, the point of it, or whether it's effective or not, the impact of it, the time spent. So there's, that's a whole debate. But what is interesting, what you say there, is about this whole idea of somebody, uh, you know, giving you best practice when they might not necessarily themselves or a department might not be the best practice in the school. Mm. Um 
and so them being honest about that and realizing and and like and again it's difficult for you because you don't want to go well i'm not sure but this is this is very good um because you're not going to feel the confidence to say or, you know it feels rude as well to say that doesn't it to your to your head of department i'm not sure this marking policy is very good yeah, so it it wasn't even necessarily in the marking policy because I I've gone up and I've um you know very naively like hey there's this like really cool stamp that says verbal feedback on it <laughs> and they're like you know doing the no no Holly no just that's a yeah, long yeah. time gone don't go there yeah, pal yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a coded marking system and that's the way it works and it's easy for books but yeah, in terms yeah. of like an assessment marking and stuff like that it was kind of a um, I don't feel particularly strong and it takes me three times to read this essay in order to mark it. And now yeah. I've got to teach Holly how to do that in one yeah. go or in the half an hour slot we've got together. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, so. but that's a skill I think as well. That is a, I think that again comes down to personality as much as anything else that there's people I know that are fantastic teachers that will admit they spend, they write too much, you know, on a long piece of work an extended mm -hmm. piece of work, they write way too many comments. And they take hours. And I know that I was always kind of getting it, trying to get it out of the way, as it were, on a Sunday and, and thinking, well, I'm not going to write loads and loads. And then you get whole class feedback comes in, don't you? And, and yeah. people using that more, which is, is, is valuable. But again, the personality of the person, depending on how, how much, and especially like you said, as an inexperienced teacher, it's interesting when you say about you did a, a whole period of time without ever marking a book. Yeah. you know because i think their outside view of teachers with big boxes of books going into their car um you know that that is that is a traditional thing that people think oh that's what a teacher does mm. um when they're at home um i mean i think that has changed somewhat but it, it's still still valuable um okay so what about um and again i don't want you to drop people in it necessarily but if you can reflect on maybe some ineffective coaching or, or some some examples where you know, maybe advice is uh, from anybody is that's given you that's not really helped or made things worse. Can you think of examples like that or bad moments of, of coaching? Um, I, I don't think that I've had anything that has made things worse for me. Um, although maybe someone that comes into my classroom watches might disagree. <laughs> might do, yeah. <laughs> possibly. Um, but it's definitely like a, a just little moments you think you're not quite up to date on on your um on your theory there do you know what I mean like you that's that's yeah. a, that's a bit too old school there are things that are the absolute groundwork you know of what we do but then you know there's obviously other things that come in and whether they're faddy things or not who like mm. time will tell but you kind of think mm, I'm not actually gonna use that because I, I feel like it's out of date you know so yeah. there's just little, but I haven't had too many moments of that to be fair I think um, my mentor in my school now where I'm employed is very good uh you know um, she's she fought to have me she wanted to keep me because she knew she was busy person anyway yeah. uh, and then on top of that she has gone through with a fine tooth comb this early career framework so she knows exactly what I'm going to be learning in each block so she's there and ready right that's that's good then isn't it yeah really, really good. good that, that is then, interesting about you say about the fad thing as well because I think you know, again, I, I found this as someone who'd been teaching 15 years when I then, you know, took on my most recent trainee, um, you know, is that suddenly they're, they're throwing things at you from their training, mm -hmm. which you may not be as, you know, au fait about. Um, and, and it's easy to, but especially as the mentor, as the coach, you've got your own defence mechanism. You know, you, you don't want to necessarily say, 
oh yeah 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 don't worry about that you know because mm. you might not fully be aware and it's really difficult and we'll talk about this after as i say about coach qualities to be honest and say actually i'm not really sure whether what the theory is there do you want to go and find it out <laughs> and let me know um, yeah, i'd like it's, it's beneficial all round, isn't it because yeah. what is the is it like seven years where you hit hit your kind of plateau or something like that you well, know where you, as teacher yeah. you kind of reach your kind of point so then to open yourself up is definitely something i want to do you know to mentoring or coaching so then you're you're not kind of um you know kind of like um stagnating no no i mean the thing is again even with that that seven year idea you know again it is so different in in every different school in the country because you know there's people who would say i mean i was ahead of department and this is not me bragging but i you know i was ahead of department in my second year of teaching and I didn't necessarily want that to happen. It just happened at the school that I was at. And then very quickly, I was head of faculty, which meant I actually, I didn't really, I would think, look back now and think I didn't really get a good three or four years of just solid teaching under my yeah. belt, you know? But mm. that is quite common because, you know, people want to get paid better. They want responsibility. Yeah. Um, or I, I definitely <laughs> felt that. Yeah. yeah you know, like, how many years could it, how many years of teaching can it be until... Um, I can go for, you know, second department, yeah. whatever it is. And um, the one thing, initially, when I first got to the school, I thought, these guys are going to hold me back. Like, I'm, I've yeah. got to move next year or whatever it is. But actually, they are very good at producing teachers that that are very confident in what they're doing. So, so you're not learning on the job. You know, if I was to yes. get head of department or second department next year or the year after, I'd be learning as I go. And that's not going to help me or the kids no. that, you know, you serve. So No, but again, like you said, it, it is dependent on the individual. And it sounds like you've been really lucky and you've had an, you've got an excellent mentor that is super, super um, on it. Um, yeah. But I know from my experience of talking to other ECTs that they've, they've said that isn't the case, yeah. you know, I, and they're, they're really I, struggling, you know. Yeah. I do feel very lucky. And I've also got um, where I'm located, we have regional kind of um, meetings through the ECT framework thing as well. Oh, right. Um, yeah. And one of the teacher talk hosts, Henry Saunston, is one of my mentors as well. So, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the family. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm so, so lucky to have. Um, lots of really strong reflective practitioners around me that um but does every does everybody get that that network meeting or is that something that your particular school has done or is that the program that they have to do that the ect framework i think this is part of the part of the program or part of the program we sign up to schools can create their own ect kind of framework to be approved but um yeah it's the one we're signed up to oh good all right well it sounds like you know you've had a very positive experience of it um and and not like you say not really too many ineffective coaching conversations um because again it is difficult because you you have i where i I kind of slightly disagree with you a little bit where you said you know about being chucked in at the deep end because i actually think sometimes you know that is the best way to learn Mm. and you know sometimes i felt on my pgc that my hand was held too much um and then when i when i became a train a proper teacher without anybody around i struggled because they hadn't you know, I hadn't had to do it, but you know, I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, and, and of course, also what you mentioned there about going to different schools, you know, it's everywhere is so, so different. Um, 
Yeah, and we didn't have that opportunity. You know, I, I'm. This is why I said I felt like I hit the ground running, and that I um, worked in a pre before I went on my teacher training. Okay. Um, so I've seen very high level behaviours and managed that, and then I worked as a, a lecturer at a, a, a college. So I've seen a couple of different, you know, um, I don't a couple of yeah. different years of teaching. So. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, during our teacher training year, those who come in either fresh from uni or are um, changing careers didn't even get the chance to go to a second placement. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So no, I think I think that's all good. And again, like you've touched upon, you know, every teacher is, is a sum of so many different experiences. Yeah. You know, whether you worked at one school or different schools, whether you did a job before you went into it whether you're, you know, like you say, fresh from university, worked as a TA, that there's all these different ways in mm-hmm. and, and you know, no one is ever going to have that exact same experience. And, and that's why and every class is different as well. So, you, you know, one person saying, oh, that class, oh, I love that class. You know, it's annoying if, you, if you're struggling with them. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the worst things I ever to say to anyone, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Teachers, the bad teacher move, like, oh, well, they're lovely for me. Oh, I hate it. I literally <laughs> hate it. It's one thing we've talked about before on there about that. You know, oh, yeah. he's fine for me, that kid. Yeah. Really helpful comment. Um, okay, well, cool. So, can actually, just before you go, Holly, I appreciate your time, but just before I let you go, sure. um, what would be nice is to get what you think qualities of a good uh, coach slash mentor are. And then when you've gone, um, I'll kind of carry on the show and talk about that in a bit more detail. So just give me your sort of top three uh, quality personality qualities that you think a good mentor or coach should have. Yeah. So um, I think um, I believe this for me as a teacher as well. So I think that would extend through to uh, a coach or a mentor um, is consistency mm-hmm. uh, because then, you know, if you're consistent, then, you know, you can build trust with the the person or the you know the students you're with um you know so you're kind of relied upon um, yeah that's really really important um being approachable you know because there's more than just um you know what's going on in the classroom perhaps that you know when when students walk in they bring baggage with you teachers will do the same thing so just yeah. to, that openness I think you know to be able to approach them and say well you know what it was terrible but also my mind's been on this you know yeah. whatever it is yeah um and that eagerness to invest you know if, if they're willing to put their time mm. into me or others then um it's it's only going to benefit you know your department your school and um, you know and the, and the students therein as well yeah no those are three really really good ones I, and I think that investing one's interesting because I think sometimes again people get given roles or take on responsibilities uh, or or have a training and they don't necessarily want to do it mm-hmm. you know and it's very easy to see that that you know, somebody's not you know you have a meeting with someone the following week and they've not invested time because they haven't even looked back at you know what your your targets were yeah. um or or they can't remember what your last you, those sorts of things I think are really bad, you know, bad, bad habits. Um, yeah. But you can see it as investing in yourself as well. If you're putting all of these skills and knowledge into um, someone else and it's allowing you to reflect on those skills and where you can strengthen your own too. So it's, there's, there's always a mutual benefit there. Yeah, I think so. And I think actually it's funny because those three things you said, I would say are also three really good qualities of a good teacher. Because mm. I think if kids see that you're investing time in them, 
and staying, you know, after school to help them. If you're approachable and you're understanding of relationships and also the consistency with your behaviour management. So I think those three things as a teacher would also be valuable, um, you know, would be high, I think, up there on the, t- on the top 10 as well as coaching ones. So, yeah, they're really interesting. We'll have a, we'll have a little thing to think about them and some other ideas that I've got in a moment. But, um, but listen, that's really lovely, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the rest of your career. Thank you. And um and your English work and I'm sure you will be a head of department probably at some point if that if that is if that is the route you want to go down. Uh, whereabouts are you phoning from, Holly? Whereabouts are you? Peterborough. Peterborough. Okay, lovely. I don't really know that area that well, but it's not too far from London, is it? So uh, no. have a lovely uh, evening and um, the rest of the last few days of your holiday. Yeah, so, you too. We've got a few days left. So great. So okay, thanks, Holly. And no, speak you. again. Take care. So that was Holly there, and um, Holly gave us some really interesting insight into, uh, from a point of view of a personal point of view of an ECT, um, uh, what she finds important. So in terms of qualities, I think I put a few down. I think the ones that Holly suggested are absolutely fab. I would definitely agree with her ones. Um, In addition to that, I put down um, listening, being able to be a good listener and probing and trying to find out you know, if you're open, there's, there's, there's bad listening and good listening, but actually not thinking what am I going to say next, but let me just actually really, really listen to what this person is saying and then probe and try and get to the bottom of, of what it is they, they need. Um, not trying to give people too many solutions or look, acting like an expert, I think is also a good one. And obviously, as she touched upon, being open, trustworthy and authentic. Um, and again, just to mention Andy Book's Andy Buck's book, and that's a mouthful, uh, he also talks about, he has a whole chapter on uh, on qualities uh, of a good coach and what you need to be to be authentic and, and genuine and trustworthy and build relationships. So, which brings me nicely onto my last um, section of the show. We've got five minutes left. It's 5.25. Thank you for joining me. If you're listening live, I massively appreciate that. Looks good for my stats. Um, and if you are um, listening as a pop as a download on Spotify or from the website or Podbean. Um, thank you again for also listening to the show in that way. But what I want to finish one today was some suggestions for further reading. So first of all, I mentioned the teaching walkthrough series, which is by Tom Sherrington and Oliver Caviglioli. Um, these are very well known now. I think everybody's uh, obviously heard of them, but. There's three series now. The yellow book was the first one, the blue book, and then the green one. Uh, They're not necessarily in any order, um, but I bought the yellow one when it first came out, which was, I don't know, just about the start of lockdown probably. Um, And that was really, really a massive game changer for me in terms of it's not a book you can just sort of read uh, like most books are. It's kind of more a reference book, I suppose, but you can dip into certain sections. It's all sectioned off into you know, behavior, modeling, um, cognitive conflict, lots of different topic areas. And then each book builds on it. But what's great about it is, is it's really good to use if you are a coach um, to help uh, instruct people in, in because of the, because obviously Oliver's diagrams are amazing. Um, you know, it's really, really good to use to, to demonstrate. I've used it before in, in helping someone with behavior by just looking at a couple of the strategies that were in there. So they're really, really good. Um, all three of them. I've just ordered the third one. So I'm waiting to have a look, look at that green one. Uh, 
There's the basic coaching method, which is by Andy Buck, uh, which I've mentioned, um, which is a really, really good, his method. Now, as I say, it's his acronym. You don't have to follow his breakdown, but he talks about so many other things in there. Um, there is obviously Teaching Like a Champion by Doug Lamov. Leverage Leadership is also another good book, um, which is worth looking at. And also the book that I've, another book, which I've, I've got to order, which I can't believe I haven't got, um, but it's on my wish list, um, is called Instructional Coaching, The Definitive Guide. Now you would think as I'm a coach, I should have The Definitive Guide. But again, there is a lot of overlap with a lot of these, these books, but that's by Jim Knight. Uh, so Jim Knight um, has written that. So that's, again, a very, very popular one um, that is out there um, to look at. There's also some websites. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Teacher's Toolkit website is really good. Uh, there's a, a website, the government one, that's got some good stuff. And also just now I downloaded one from the Olivi Institute. So that's O-L-E-V-I, Olevi, Olevi. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. The Institute, uh, Olevi com i'll put that in the chat because i'm i'm making a mess of that o l i v o l right levi jeans so it's o l e v i dot com i'll put it on there that that's um that's got some they've got some downloadable uh guides to coaching which are absolutely free which you can download which i've just downloaded uh, earlier today and i'm gonna have a little look through those later because there's some really good ideas and as i say just to sum up there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of common messages from all of these books and publications about setting a target implementing it guiding someone helping them reflect um, and then making them accountable for making sure that they keep doing it and commit to it so there's lots and lots of overlap there's no definitive answer but there are lots of principles to coaching and reasons why it is so effective so i really hope if you've joined me today and listened to this show that has helped you either understand coaching a bit more or help prompt your thinking about coaching or whether you want to do that in your school or something you'd want to find out a bit more about. It is a growing area of expertise and it is an area that schools more and more are using. Um, and I don't think it's a fad uh, like some things are. I think it is, it's something that is here to stay um, because it is a game changer for me in terms of school improvement and teacher improvement. And my last point also is about well-being because I think an underestimated uh, byproduct of coaching is improved well-being because a lot of the people I've coached in the last couple of years yes I might have given them pedagogical advice but actually the majority of them have always said to me at the end thanks very much Seb um, for your support and for your listening and for your guidance because actually they've never had the time in a busy school when line managers flat out to actually sit and think about their teaching and have an honest discussion with someone that isn't judgmental so I think there is a massive uh benefit to people doing coaching one-to-one -one, providing the relationship is not uh you don't choose someone who they've got an issue with um that and it's not too uh, and it's not their line manager then i think it can be really supportive in helping people uh, enjoy their job and obviously not quit teaching which we don't want because the stats on that are uh frightening uh well let's end on that sobering point have a lovely easter weekend good friday tomorrow um nice easter weekend for everybody take care um, and I'll speak to everyone again on the Teacher Talk Radio drive home with me, Seb, in approximately two weeks' time. Thanks again to Holly, uh, my guest today, uh, for her contributions and to everyone else who's got involved. Take care and enjoy your evening. 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.